going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Happy Wednesday. Hope all is well with you and yours. Today, I just want to start the show off by thanking all of you. I want to thank Jody Hughes. I want to thank John Voss, my boss, for uh, allowing us the opportunity to celebrate Peter Watts' life yesterday and allowing us the opportunity to uh, to be a, allowing me to be a part of it. One of the things that I took away from it is what a life Peter lived. Like when you think about his career and you think about what he did, and one of the things that it struck me afterwards as I was driving home is, man, oh man, we don't sometimes do enough to thank the people that are around us while they're still alive. As weird as it is to say it, we, we have all these great things to say about them after they've left us. And I really, really want, I'm trying to figure out a way to do this, but I thought this would be a great opportunity to just thank all of you for all of your support, for everything that you guys have said and done for us over the last uh, couple of weeks. It has been uh, a, a very difficult last few weeks, to say the very least, and it's been made a little bit easier. And one of the things that I took away from the um, from the event yesterday, the the celebration of life for Peter Watts was. Just how grateful the family was for all of the comments, all of the tweets, all of everything that has come towards them uh, to really shine a light on who he was. Again, what I, I think, and I'm trying to figure out a way of doing this, is making sure that we don't lose sight of that in just saying thanks to those around us on a day-to-day basis. Gratitude is such a, a big thing in my world. I'm always saying thank you. Or that kind of thing, and and just you know trying to trying to make sure every interaction is is a positive one, and so hopefully it, again I'll try to think of a way to do it. One of the things that uh, I thought of was even random people, you know, whether it's my my best man and groomsman at my wedding, I'm going to try to single them out over the next week or so, or you know just show love now rather than wait until it's far too late. So just something to conjure up and and again just a giant thank you one and all for everything that you've said and done uh for us over the last uh, number of weeks here and for the family of peter watts and of john himpy on that note a jam-packed show and somehow sometimes shows just roll together in the topics there's there's a commonality to it today's one of those days there is a lot of music on today's show Jerry Madigan will join us after four o'clock to talk about Build That Pipeline. It's a new song by uh, the Spitzy Post Band out of High River, and it's gotten a lot of attention lately. I don't think anybody is going to be shocked about the content, given the title of it is Build That Pipeline. But We'll get a little bit of context to that song. Also, a lot of talk about mental health, and in particular today being a Bell Let's Talk Day. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was the power of music. And Andrew Mosker from the National Music Center will join us after 5.30 to dive into uh, that particular idea of music as therapy. We'll also talk copper wire theft. It's been on the rise and some interesting stats uh, being talked about by RCMP. Corporal Curtis Peters will join us after 5 o'clock to talk about that. But before we get to all of that, we're going to talk Green Line, the LRT, massive LRT project set for our city. A big deal today being made by the Premier. That being said, was the political? 
We'll have to see. Counselor Shane, uh, Shane Keating will join us next. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. So as you've heard in the news over the last uh, couple of hours here, the Premier's in town. An announcement on Green Line funding. But as the Premier says, it has nothing to do with the upcoming provincial election. She has it says it's everything to do with getting the wheels in motion, literally and figuratively, around the Green Line LRT project. We've talked a lot about it over the last few weeks, given everything that's been going on on the political stage. We, we've had uh, funding announcements and re-announcements and everything else that goes along with it. But a contract has been officially signed. Joining us now on the program to talk more about that, Councillor Shane Keating. Councillor, thanks so much for the time today. No, thank you. It's just a favorite topic. It is your favorite topic because this has been a major issue for Southeast Calgary for uh, for years now, and it's been certainly something that has been on your radar for a while. And I wonder, just broad-based, how significant is today to you? Well, I think it's just another one of the milestones. And, and I think the, the mayor said it best is the train has left the station. Um, we do have a legal binding contract, um, and anyone can change, uh, as we hear, any contract, but then you have consequences. Um, what those would be, I don't know, but the state is, the federal government uh, announced some time ago they're committing 1.5. They told the province they're committing that. Uh, today, the, the province actually signed a funding agreement, which you can call a contract, uh, between the provincial, federal governments, and the city to move forward on the Green Line. How significant money-wise is this in the grand scheme of things? Well, until the, the agreement is officially signed, um, then yes, things can change. Once it's signed, you have I's dotted and, and T's crossed on how that is going to proceed. It, it talks about payments. It talks about when they will happen, how they will happen, and the amounts that will happen. Um, and now you're ready to say to the contractors... Okay, we're ready for an RFQ and an RFP because we've got the funding in the bank, uh, and we're going to move forward with those contracts. And then once you get into signing those third-party contracts, uh, I mean, you're committed. How difficult has it been over the last couple of years as you meander through different levels of government and governmental changes and everything else that has gone along on the political side of getting a project of this scope and this magnitude uh, off the ground? Well, I think it's it's the matter of the waiting game. As it's, uh, it's there, um, I had confidence that it, all parties were committed to the project. Um, but it's the waiting game to make sure that uh, everything is is in detailed uh, down on paper, and there is actually a signature on the bottom line, uh, on the dotted line at the bottom, um, to say this is official. Uh, so that's the difficult part. You have to work through um, the federal government and all of their processes. You have to work through the provincial government and all of their processes, uh, and then you you move forward and you just say we're on we're on schedule uh, as much as we can be. For those who are thinking, man, I can't wait for not just the shovel to be in the ground, but when will this actually see the light of day? When do you foresee, best case scenario, that we have a train rolling down towards the southeast corner of the city? We've always said that it should be done in 26, uh, 2026. That is still the case. Uh, We're a little behind on our procurement and and our uh, RFPs and RFQs. Um, but uh, that didn't change the final 
deadline of actual construction to be completed. Uh, construction will start within a year uh, of, of today, I'm guessing, um, and it'll move forward. So in 2020, construction will start. Um, actual all third-party contracts and procurement models will be finished by the end of this year. Uh, and then once that's done, it's, uh, you know, um, all wheels forward. I know there's been a lot of talk about the extent of the project, and this is just a segment of the grand scope of the project. What more is needed in terms of funding commitments and and uh, ideas in terms of making sure that 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 segment of the city is properly uh take it has properly taken care of uh when it comes to transit yeah well i mean the, there was an ir- original proposal and i mean there's been a lot of discussion about that is how it's changed over the years and and i mean it's changed for very valid reasons uh, we started out with a, a proposal that was at grade from the deep south to the far north um, cutting through the the center of the core and a number of those and, and it's interesting that i hear a number of people today say, why didn't you put 7th Avenue underground when you first built it? And now that we're putting the next phase underground, we hear people saying, why are you putting underground? It costs too much. Uh, And so the changes over time have been because we actually listened to the residents of Calgary, and they're the ones who said, you know, if we're going to do it, do it right, make these changes, put it in place, and then move forward. So as far as other commitments, we've done the public engagement. um, We've consulted with the federal and provincial governments. Uh, as it is today, with that announcement and that signature, all funding is in place for it's, phase one. It seems as though, to me, is, and I, and I don't know if this is something that's in the Grandmaster plans much further down the road, past Green Line, but the one thing that I've always struggled with in this city is connecting, say, the southeast to the southwest, is if you wanted mm-hmm. to take a train, you've got to go through the core. So you're going north to go south. Is there anything in your eyes that can bridge that gap? Well, I think we started that with the the Max BRTs. Um, they're meant to go uh, across town, not you know up and down or to the north. They're meant to go around. As many of them actually don't get to the core. They get uh, the one, for example, Douglas Dale, Douglas Dale down in my area. It goes around to Mount Royal and a little farther north, and then it comes back that way. Uh, that's the the intent. And I mean, we have to also remember in my mind that uh, Calgary is a very large city of, of almost 1.3, um, but it's not a, it's not a four or five million uh, population either. Most transit systems start with the spokes and we may need, and, and again, this is just my thoughts, we may need another um, LRT leg, which would come 17th Avenue down into the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And then what you do from those is you start connecting those LRT lines with other modes of uh, transportation, whether it's uh, a BRT or whether it's a, uh, another um, LRT of some sort or whether it's a cable car or, you know, a number of those concepts that are out there. But you first have to get your spokes because they're the ones that are traveled the most. And then you start connecting the spokes uh, outside. And you'll see many very large cities have circular LRTs that go around in, in you know, kind of ripples as they move out from the core. Um, and then connecting with ones that go into the core. And and that will come, um, unfortunately. Uh, We're not quite there. One of the things that has come out of today that a lot of people are feeling, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, is did this at all feel like a political announcement? Because, uh, and I've said it on this program before, is we are into an election campaign, whether we like it or not. And is this something that, do you feel like you were being used as a political pawn here? 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, this was actually uh, to be done six months ago. Um, unfortunately, the negotiations and getting the actual wording and everything else in these agreements took longer than it should have been, but it really should have been done, um, I would think, early fall of 2018. Um, as it was, uh, we didn't get the final wording until just uh, not that long ago, and then for them to draft up the, the contracts and get them signed. So I think it was just a matter of timing. That's uh, good enough for me in terms of uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, uh, Councillor Keating, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Councillor Shane Keating uh, weighing in today on uh, today's Green Line update from the province. Again, uh, whether or not you think it's a political gamesmanship that's going on, I don't know. I think that there's, there, by the sounds of it, according to, to Councillor Keating and according to the mayor and, and others, is this wasn't a political partisan thing. And it didn't feel like that to me. It was one of those things that as much as you could lump it in, it was one of those, it needed to be done. It's not like government shuts down during a uh, during an election campaign. That being said, still one of those things that you're going to hear Pundits on both sides talking about. Scalgary today on 770 CHQR. That is called Build That Pipeline. It is the Spitzy Post Band out of High River, and they've been getting a lot of attention for what is called obviously build that pipeline uh, jerry madigan is the banjo player for the band and he joins us now uh, jerry thanks so much for the time today thank you very much give us an idea as to the inspiration behind build that pipeline well uh, being a musician and a singer songwriter um i suppose going back to to, to the origins of, of folk music uh, it's always been up to the folk singers and and uh, societies to really articulate the issues that are presented to the community. Uh, we, you know, going back to Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, all these, they, always, they wrote some tr- tremendous songs about the pertinent issues that, that were topical at the time. And I, I just thought that, well, th- this is a very serious issue. It's, it's a huge issue, the, the, the lack of pipelines here in Alberta. And I thought, as a musician, we could try and articulate that through song because, you know, having an anthem or having a song that, that will, that will uh, highlight the issue uh, can all, all, all very often be very, very effective. And it has been proven in the past, you know, I mean, Bob Geldof and, and the Band-Aid and, and, and lots of other things where uh, when it's put to song, people can use it as an anthem or they, they can really uh, buy into the whole issue and, and, and have some, some say in it. Is it tough to write a song like that with a preconceived notion about what you want it to become? Um, it's not terribly difficult. I, I think, uh, I mean, it, 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 I'm, I'm not saying it's a brilliant song or anything. It, it, it's an effective song mm-hmm. for, for, for this cause. And I think in, in songwriting, I think you, you need to try and encapsulate the, the issue or, or, or the theme or the, or the message that you want to get across in, into uh, preferably a chorus or, or, or a, a repetitive strain that people can latch on to very, very quickly. 
Um, like in, in, in Europe, they call it an earworm. If, you, if you've got a song that, that you know, you, you hear it twice and you just can't get it out of your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was the idea to do that. So you, you have something that's repeating, you know, build that pipeline, build that pipeline, build that pipeline. Um, eventually, um, it becomes like an earworm. You, you can't get it out of your head. And if, if, if that does nothing else but, but raise awareness, well, then it's done some of its job. And, and that's part of the whole thing. I, I, I believe that the issue that we face uh, it needs. We need to heighten the awareness of it, and we need to educate people to to have um, a balanced view on what's happening. You know, we we have, we have protesters and we've got objectors and all, but um, we're, we're we're missing the balance in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And with 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 uh, with uh, awareness, heightening the awareness, and then getting to the education, then then it's time for people to take action and and and, and really put their the money where their mouth is and and. Uh, get involved in, in the issue. Talk a little bit about the reaction to the song and what people have been saying to you guys. Well, the reaction has been, been great. We, 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 got, we got one, one negative comment in, in the whole thing, and that, <laughs> that was somebody just said, we don't care about the environment. And, and I think that's one of the problems. I, I think uh, from what I've seen in a lot of the objectors and protesters, and, and, I, and I fully understand that's their opinion, and, 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 and that's what, what they wish to happen, but they paint people with the same brush. So because we wrote a song and we sing about building the pipeline, uh, they infer that, well, that means that you don't care about the environment. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, I, I, I love the environment. I, I, I think it, it's great to talk about renewable energy and talk about diminishing fossil fuels and all that. That's terrific. But I'm talking about right now uh, the economy in, in Alberta is suffering, suffering badly. And, and if it's allowed to get much worse, we're, we're going to hit a massive recession. And what we want to do is to try to get people to, before you make up your mind on all of this, open your mind. Open. Absolutely. Uh, Jerry Madigan from the Spitzy Post Band making v- what's turned out to be a viral song and video. Build That Pipeline is what it's called out of High River. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for the time today. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. weeks ago i was talking about different crimes that seem to ebb and flow every so often and this time around i wanted to focus on copper wire theft and it's nothing new but it is certainly something that has been in the spotlight lately and especially when you catches your headline or your attention when you see a headline like nanton rcmp arrest a male red-handed stealing copper wire and it's almost a daily occurrence so what's going on here rcmp corporal curtis peters joining us now on the program corporal thanks so much for the time thanks for having me it seems as though copper wire theft it was prevalent for a little while and then it kind of went away and then it's been real to me anyways really prevalent when it comes to the news releases that we've been getting from you guys lately i mean there's been a couple of really high profile cases as of late uh, can you give me a sense of whether this is the ebbs and flows of crime or has this been always there or it's just maybe more high profile right now than it has been in the last few months? I would say it's just sort of been more high profile in the last few months. Uh, I've been a member of the RCMP in the province now for 13 years, and 13 years ago this was a thing that I was dealing with, and it it never really went away. There is a correlation between the value of the copper wire versus, you know, how much of it is stolen. It's when we're seeing, seeing these thefts, 
it ends up being uh, sold as scrap metal to, and recycled. And so there's a commodity to it, right? So right. much like the price of grain dictates what plant the farmers put in the ground, that's sort of the same thing that we see here. The value of the material correlates to how many of the thefts we're seeing. What kinds of trends are we seeing of late that has led to this higher profile aspect of, of copper wire theft? Well, we've had, we've seen a, an increase in a lots of different things. I think that that contribute to it. When we see these copper wire thefts, they're often tied to our stolen vehicles, which we've seen. Uh, we know that's been a problem in the news here recently as well. And I think uh, I think there's a correlation also to um, we've heard it in the news. It's it's not a, a secret about um, an increase in methamphetamine use. I find that in my experience, those two things are quite often tied together. I've never encountered um, any who's stealing copper wire for legitimate purposes or to further their education, pay for university, that sort of thing. It's usually tied to an addiction issue as well. Talk a little bit about the standpoint of businesses or those who are being targeted. What are they saying and what kinds of tips are you able to give them to maybe ease the situation or be a little more proactive about it? Target hardening is what we talk to our industry partners about a lot, uh, making it more difficult or uh, less likely for you to be victimized. The same thing as we talk about with all of our rural crime reduction stuff, right? If uh, Just making it more difficult, more security, more layers of security in place, having uh, security, whether it's security guards or security cameras or staff working different hours, it, it can help to contribute to uh, reducing the likelihood of being impacted. Uh, we know that it's a serious problem for uh, for industry partners. Like, I've been on several meetings with uh, with representatives from various oil companies who are often the targets of these these types of crimes at rural lease sites. And uh, for sure, it's a it's a growing concern for them. I'm, I'm sure that the uh, the losses that they experience not only from the theft, but then in the damage that's caused when they have to go and repair it after the fact is in the millions of dollars. Do you get the sense at all that this is a small number of criminals? The, they they usually call them the the prolific uh, offenders that are uh, responsible for the vast majority of these. Or are these ones that uh, the typical you know a, a small time criminal might think about it once or twice and then and then be on with their day? A little bit of both. I'm sure that there's a few who a few individuals who have committed a crime like this you know once or twice and and then carried on to something else or reformed their ways, but. I know, I do know for sure that uh, certain individuals that we've come across have done this repeatedly and, and sort of make it a, a long-term uh, spree or a long-term crime type that they engage in, for sure. And I know that in the past when I've covered this story is that you guys talk a lot about the safety aspect of it because this isn't something like a, a typical theft. This can be trying to steal live wire in some cases. Yeah, it's a danger to the individuals who are who are doing the theft itself, but then also to uh, an unknown, an unsuspecting employee who comes to that work site uh, following the theft. Right, uh, it, they could be exposed to live wires or leaks from chemicals or damage that's done to it as a result, um, and they can be injured as well. Right, so the safety concern is a, is a big part of it, and then the financial value of of the material stolen and the cost to repair. You put it all together, it's a, it's a big problem. Just before. Before we hit the air, you mentioned a stat, and you don't have the grand stats for 2018 yet, but just in the last 48 hours, there's one stat that really jumped out at you. Talk about that and that and the trend that goes along with that. 
Uh, yeah, so I know I don't have the 2018 numbers, but in 2017 we saw over uh, around 460 files uh, involving theft of copper wire. And in preparation for this interview, I just decided to do a quick look. And in the last 48 hours here in the province of Alberta, and just talking RCMP jurisdiction, that doesn't include the city police forces, last 48 hours there's been 13 files involving copper wire uh, that the RCMP have responded to here in Alberta. It's an unreal stat that I'm sure a lot of people, especially in the rural settings, will be paying a lot of attention to and certainly something that I'm sure you're warning residents about as well as to keep that lookout for anything that is uh, suspicious or looks out of the ordinary. Anytime that we are successful in making an arrest with this, it's great. And uh, by far, the best the best thing that we have is the eyes and ears of citizens who are watching and keeping an eye out, reporting a suspicious vehicle, something that looks out of place. Um, that helps us all the time. We welcome those calls. If you think that you might have information about stuff like this, please give your local detachment a call. If you know somebody who's involved with it, we want to hear that, hear that as well. Corporal, I appreciate the time this afternoon. My pleasure. Let's head on over to the National Music Center. Andrew Mosker joins us now. It is a Bell Let's Talk Day, and one of those conversation pieces, we're talking mental health. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Great to be here, Joe, and thank you for uh, take, having an interest in um, in uh, Bell Let's Talk and the healing powers of music. Yeah, this is something that is fairly near and dear to my heart because I feel as though music has been that healing part for me, and there's a ton of music that I can cite that when it brought me out of uh, bad places or lifted my spirits or that kind of thing. Talk about it from that standpoint when it comes to the, the music center. Well, we believe very strongly here at National Music Center that music is medicine. It really is medicine, to your point. And, you know, medicine in the form of how it's delivered at the National Music Center through a variety of music programs, you know, touches people in many, many different ways, depending on you know, what their condition is, where they are, at what, at what stage of their life, where they are in their life. And it's, uh, I would say, a, a fundamental principle of create was a fundamental principle and continues to be of building a national music center here in East Village in downtown Calgary and a fundamental principle of all the programs that we do. So just to your point earlier that music, you know, personally for you has been a way for you to confront and deal with certain issues in your life. Uh, it's not uh, something that that is uncommon. It's something that we hear a lot about my own self. Personally, I mean, I would say that my, my career in music has largely been guided by the fact that music has been a refuge for me for my whole life and a source of great inspiration and healing. Mm-hmm. And, for example, at the National Music Center, how does music heal? And why is it an important uh, important means to bring people together to heal as a, as a community? Uh, let's start with something broad like East Village. So East Village up until this neighborhood, if you're from Calgary and you know this neighborhood, this neighborhood was considered a somewhat of a blight mm-hmm. um, up until 10 years ago. And I think maybe in certain Calgarians, some Calgarians' minds who have not been here in the last five years, I'm sure there are many in the city, they may still have that perception that this part of Calgary was not a safe place. Uh, I think that is beginning to change, and I think music has helped that. You know, we built a, a national music center as a gateway to this community to welcome 
people from this community, Calgary, and from all over the world to come and explore music uh, on their own terms. And that has been a form of healing for the community, I think. And now we have a public library, which is adding to that idea as well, right next door, two blocks away. What amazes me about some tunes is that if you hear it, it takes you back to a certain place. And it might be a yeah. good place, it might be a bad place. Like It's, it's fascinating how you can uh, be kind of in a time warp just by listening to a certain song. Yeah, there was a there's a really great Canadian singer songwriter that I have a lot of respect for. Um, his name is Justin Rutledge, and uh, you know he's won some Junos in his life and certainly been nominated for some. He's what in the days we would call an al- earlier days we would have called an alternative country artist, and he I actually hired him to play at my wedding when I married and Ingrid and I got married just over ten years ago. She was a big fan, as 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 was I, and it was a gift for me to her at our wedding that he would come and play a few songs. <laughs> you know what he said? I'll never forget what he said. He said when he got up on stage uh, to play a couple of songs, he goes, I don't usually get asked to play weddings. I usually get asked to play at divorces. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the sentiment there, you know, we, we like to think of the sad country song, you know, for mm-hmm. a minute, you know, and there's cliches in all music, you know, whether it's lyrical or musical, um, and in the case of some music um, that it meant to sort of, uh, you know, emulate a sad feeling like, a, you know, a song in a minor key, as example, there that listening to a song in a minor key or writing a song in a minor key or listening to a lyric that is a profoundly sad story, uh, I think is a is a way in which um, a way in which an individual can express how they're feeling and, and in some cases overcome those feelings and move on to a better place. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really the magic of the the, the magic of what makes us so unique as a you know as a species, right? Mm-hmm. The humans that we are, that we can be rational and respond to these types of emotions as a form of healing, and then and enable us to move on from them. And music is a great catalyst for uh, I think expressing and dealing with our emotions. Andrew Mosker is our guest from the National Music Center as we talk music therapy. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Andrew Mosker from the National Music Center is our guest as we talk the therapeutic value of music, but it's not just listening to music, Andrew. Playing it. I know some people get that relief from belting out their favorite tune or banging the drums or playing the guitar too. Talk about that aspect of it because I know you guys do a lot of that programming surrounding playing music. Yeah. What I do love about the program is that there was a stigma about mental health issues and I'm not that young or that old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that young or that old to to not be aware of those stigmas. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they've certainly been there. So I have a child. My oldest son is is on the autistic spectrum. He's a high-functioning autism. He's only nine. And I've learned some things about, you know, acceptance uh, of a a condition that he has and also compassion and, um, and to speak openly about them and to not see them as, um, as something that we as a family don't talk about, but rather 
to find the beauty in the condition, which is ostensibly a mental health condition, and um, to find ways that parents can both learn from this condition to help the child. It doesn't replace the love, and it actually, if anything, it enhances it. And I you know, only say like my one music story, and I certainly have my own personal ones, as I, you know, as I mentioned to you mm-hmm. at the beginning of this interview. But my son, what autism does at a young age is it, you develop your ability to speak much later than someone who is not autistic. So he had quite a bit of challenge articulating him, you know, being able to express himself in words, like a clear sentence as an example. Mm-hmm. And where music has had a profound impact on him, and it's been it's been gratifying for you know Ingrid and I to watch this, is there's certain songs that he really loves, and on my phone, like on a streaming service that I have, you can bring up the lyrics of a song and sing along with it. And I've watched his motor skills improve fundamentally because he's singing along in rhythm with a particular song. He loves the Imagine Dragons, mm-hmm. as an example. Mm-hmm. So he like, sings a ton of Imagine Dragon songs. And I may not be a huge fan of the band, but I, <laughs> I've watched him read these lyrics and sing along and watch his motor skills with his ability to speak just, just progress in a way that I believe would not have progressed as quickly if music hadn't played a role. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, to me, is another really interesting story about the power of music. It's certainly personal to Ingrid and our family, but those kinds of stories are happening all over the world now. And uh, again, another example of the personal, of the power of music and how it has an ability to heal and change people's lives. Andrew, I appreciate not only the the look at what happens within the walls of uh, the NMC, but also uh, appreciate the personal touch to it as well. Thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Anytime. If you have any other questions, you know where to find me, Mr. McFarland. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever called me Mr. McFarland on the radio before. Uh, that being said... I'm extremely lucky to have an extremely supportive family and circle of friends who would drop everything they need to that they're doing to help me in a time of need. And I love this day, but like I said, one of the things is we need to keep this conversation going 24-7, 365. And as I've said to a number of friends, is call me, text me, message me anytime, anywhere. I'll do what I can. And I, I made point of mentioning a certain song. As well, one of the songs that I've really taken a heart over the last little while is a band called Shine Down and their tune "Get Up." If you were ever in doubt, don't sell yourself short. You might be bulletproof. Hard to move mountains when you're paralyzed, but you gotta try. So I'm calling out. Get up, get up, get up, move on. This is Calgary today on 770 CHQR. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.